ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 100th podcast episode. Thank you for listening through the years and for most importantly trying to deal with all of the dumb stuff that I say. But today is a special, special day as we are doing the beginning part, I guess the, one of the first parts of our multi-part 100th episode, we have our original co-host of the podcast. Welcome to the show, Mr. Mike Dunbar. Da, 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 da. Hello, Dun, da, da, hello. <laughs> you remember back in the day when we'd be like, hi, I'm Aaron. Oh, and, and yeah. I'm Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Those were the, the, the glory days, the, the good old days, days. The, the very beginning of this whole thing. Man, it, it has come so far. It's hard to believe. It's bonkers to think that that was three years ago. Yeah. And I remember this this kind of ramshackle setup we had. Like, you would come <laughs> over to my house. We definitely still have that picture. You should post it online I'll or something. I'll post with this that vid- one together yeah. of the, uh, the, first, the first time we got together to record, like, the little uh, promo video we did. Yep. We had this tiny little desk. Um, I had just bought my house, so it was there's, like, no furniture in my house. <laughs> and had this tiny little desk that we were sitting around with our microphones and everything. And trying to do this whole podcasting thing. Of course, it was right during the pandemic era, so it was everyone was getting into podcasting. Big so time it was, into podcasting. Uh-huh. I remember so many people were like, oh, check out my podcast. We're going to live stream it. it right. Like, that sentence right there screams April of 2020. Yeah. <laughs> but this podcast is a survivor. It we survived. survived. You know? That's like, a good word for it because yeah. a lot of, I mean, not just podcasts, but like a lot of like shows in Nashville, a lot yep. of people's careers. They're just like people decided they didn't want to do these things anymore. And survivor is the right word. We just I think persisted. everything about Nashville Tour Stop is survivor. Like you <laughs> you you have outlived all of the competition. You know? Like think about how many uh, like writers rounds have come and gone since you started Dozens. Tour Stop. Dozens. I mean there was this one that used to rip off my posters like yeah. down to like down to like the format of like how i put the address into it yeah and like i'm not even gonna bother dming this person getting into a stink about you copying my post if you're trying that little you're not going to be around long anyway yeah you know and if you're trying that little to to make something cool right it's also flattery to me that you think my thing is cool yeah so i didn't get into it but we survived we you know what Okay, so I'll I'll be the play the podcast host for a second. What do you think has been the secret for Nashville Tour Stop for you personally, like being able to stick through it with all these things? So one of the things that I like to talk about a lot now because I get young kids asking me how to host writers' rooms right. and stuff, and I don't give them lots of information because you know it's proprietary. proprietary. <laughs> but I'll give them some stuff that's like very general business. Sure advice and the thing that i tell most people is just something i learned when i worked at a hardware store i worked at an ace hardware store in college and one of the things that they trained us on is just predictable consistency mm-hmm. if you know you can go here that's going to be open every day from nine to nine or whatever and if you just know that it's going to be there and it's reliable people will remember that more than that like more than like oh this is the best place they'll just be like oh that's an option. Mm-hmm. And that's something that has, I think, been part of Tour Stop is just the consistency of shows. Yeah. Like, there's always, like, a Tour Stop show in a few days. Right. And that, that is such a good lesson for, I mean, I know the audience is both musicians and all sorts of different uh, people, but, like, anything in life, like, it's, yes, you want to have really high quality, but also a quality that you can maintain for a long period of time. Like, that, that goes for putting out music, too. Like, 
you are so much better off regularly putting out something that is really good and that you're proud of in terms of music than every three years putting out your magnum opus and then right. never posting again. Right. You know, because it, it, people just want that consistency. And I also love that you got that lesson from working at a hardware store because totally. so many people would be like, oh, this stupid job at a hardware store. Like, I'm, I'm just going to turn my brain off. But it, the fact that you can learn advice that ends up helping you to have a really great career working at a job that probably wasn't very exciting at the time, you know, like pay attention <laughs> to life as it's happening. There were definitely days at that job where I was, ma- I, I made seven seventy five an hour. Wow. It was, it was the worst. That was 2013. That was one of my first jobs I ever had. Like, and I definitely did try to shut my brain off, but that always stuck with me. It's just like, just be consistent with whatever you're doing. And that's one of the reasons Torsop has persisted is right. because it's just reliable. Yeah. People know that if I book them, they're not going to get double booked. They know the venue's doors are going to be unlocked. Like, they know there will be a poster. And they, more often than not, will know that their friends are going to be there. Right. And that's been a, a testament to the community behind Tour Stop. Just, they, they care. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in business, it's kind of like how people talk about um, who makes the best hamburgers. Mm-hmm. Um, you, anybody can have their pick of which restaurant makes the best hamburgers. Who sells the most hamburgers? McDonald's. McDonald's. And it's not because they're definitely not in consideration for the best hamburger, <laughs> but they, when you go to a McDonald's, you know exactly what you're getting and what it's going to taste like. And it and tastes the same everywhere. Every time. Yeah. And, and that's kind of goes back to that consistency that, and like, obviously, uh, you hold yourself to a higher quality standard than a McDonald's, <laughs> but. Ultimately, the same principle applies of whatever you're doing, being able to, like, people can trust you to provide what they have come to expect of you. And that thing that they come to trust then, and expect from tour stop is just, there's, there's always going to be another round they can play. There's always going right. to be another show they can attend. And they're, in, like, the trajectory of its growth over the years, there may be an opportunity to play a bigger, shall we call it, a more high-value show. Yeah. Like when I started it five years ago, I couldn't book shows at the listening room and right. I have the option to do so. They've offered me two shows at the listening room that I've turned down. Yeah. And that gives me like some, shall we say, BDE, you know, that, that big energy. <laughs> and it's like not many people would dare turn down opportunities from Nashville, one of Nashville's most coveted venues, uh-huh. let alone turning down multiple events. And it's because I've sold out four in a row now. Mm-hmm. I've got I've got the expectation for myself and the venue has the expectation for tour stop now that we will sell the show out. And they offered me the day after Thanksgiving. And I was like, there is no way yeah. 300 people in this town want to come to a show the day after Thanksgiving. They're all going to be having those tryptophan naps on leftover turkey. It says something about what they think of you that they think you're the guy that could actually get people to come out after Thanksgiving. <laughs> that, that is probably the best compliment you could receive. I bet, I bet that. I mean, I, I won't say no, that's not it, but I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, for me, I think the hard part with being an entrepreneur and being like consistent and I'm put, like putting myself in your shoes is resisting the temptation to bounce off in a thousand different exciting new directions mm-hmm. that you get like an opportunity to do because of the success like it, it's so hard to have the guts to start something new but then also be able to control that ambition to not just see the shiny object and run with it like how do you kind of keep that from happening 
So I, I honestly, it's, it's hard. You're right. Like I'm super ADD. Right. And yeah, me too. I day to day is kind of hard. Like I'll sit at my desk here and I've got my TV next to me and my guitars. And then there's the kitchen and then my dog. <laughs> and then there's a billion things I could do for work. And I have a yellow legal pad where every morning I'll think about like, what am I doing today? And if I stray from it, I get lost in that ADD flow. I can always go back to the, what are we doing short term right now? Mm -hmm. And all of the short term goals lead to something like sometimes it's, they lead to the show that night. And then sometimes the small short term goal that I've set leads to the long-term goal that I've been working on for a long time because like trying to do big projects takes a long time. And that's one of those things we were just talking about with the consistency is just getting a little bit done every day. Well, eventually you'll be done with it. Right. Eventually the work will be completed. And that's something that has helped my workflow and trying to stay focused is just let, let the ADD have its have its time, but there's always a list to come back to, to recenter and having the, 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 I don't, God, I don't want to say the foresight, but like having the wherewithal to be like, okay, it's okay to get distracted, but there's always the opportunity to refocus. And it's a, something that I've worked on over the years is just making sure that if I get lost in whatever I'm doing or whatever I'm talking about, I can always recenter to the this is the goal at hand, the task that needs to be completed right now. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's worked out for me so far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and thinking of it that way, I'm sure helps keep it from feeling monotonous. Because if, if you have only goals that are years in the future, you're going to feel like every day is the same trying to get mm -hmm. there. Whereas if you can boil it down to those smaller things, it's like, okay, little bit of that feeling of success from this piece totally. of it being done. Like putting down even the tiniest goals on that yellow legal pad. Yeah. It's like create poster for Tuesday. Right. And if it takes me two minutes to make that poster, I still get to go back to the pad and check it off. And then in my brain, it's that psychological, like I have accomplished something yeah. every time I've yeah. accomplished something, even if it's small, but then you kind of get focused on the accomplishing the things on the list and then eventually it's done. Right. Yeah. Honestly, because I, I have elements of that attention deficit thing too and i think a lot of people in our generation do as well and i a lot of people i know who suffer from it in some degree or another view it as an affliction mm -hmm. which i guess technically it is but i i'm a real believer that if you find ways to harness it and control the negative aspects of it it can actually be a huge positive it can be creativity it can be you know cuz these ideas are just coming to you all the time it can be energy. It, it's, it's like raw energy that you have to kind of control into uh, a path that is going to be productive for you. But like, uh, you know, so many people don't have these ideas and these things constantly like occurring to them or like uh, making connections like this thing reminds you of this thing, which reminds you of this thing like that. That's actually a superpower mm -hmm. if you look at it the right way. You know, a lot of people in the business world don't have that and that's why they don't have any good ideas and they actually rely on the creative people that do bounce around a lot and all you have to you know it's harder for some than others but like if you can find that way to control it and to channel it you can have that huge success you know and not let it be derailing you constantly that's the right. only thing is figuring out a way to not derail it yeah so 
Mike and I are currently drinking coffee. I'm getting myself a refill. Mike, do you need a do you need a top off here? <laughs> yeah, I'll take some. Take a top off here. So let's talk about the early days of when we started this. What are some of the if when we talk about like the first couple of podcasts we did, what are some of the what are some of those like immediate memories in your brain of like if you think about like us starting it other than just like shooting that little promo video in your office right what are you thinking about when you think about the the first few episodes well it was really fun because it's that part of any project that's long term where you don't really know what it's going to be yet Mm -hmm. and so there's no rules and there's no and i you know i think i remember we tried some episodes where we would go in with like an agenda of like Mm -hmm. here are the things we're going to talk about and we're going to be really structured about it but i think that what has kind of naturally evolved is that people just want to hear a real conversation of people talking, you know, and, you know, those early conversations, it was always interesting to me how they sort of naturally veered into this direction of, um, like entrepreneurship, business, music, business, the performing business, like how to be a professional musician, things that I was really dealing with, especially at that time. Cause I was in the, transition of becoming a professional musician and being able to do it full time and all that stuff. Um, we were also, of course, navigating uh, the pandemic stuff in during a lot of those early days. And that was for a musician. I mean, now we're pretty much on the other side of it in terms of, you know, all the lockdowns and stuff that we were going through at that time. But uh, I just remember it was a scary time and it, it was, was. A, it was a lot of like, there was a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, like are shows ever are people ever going to go to concerts again? Mm-hmm. I mean, we take for granted now that, it, it, that uh, in a lot of ways, a lot of that stuff has rebounded, or even some parts of the business have um, sort of grown. You know, like it, we've we've benefited from say the live streaming stuff or like the the online stuff, but um, it was very uncertain at that point, and so it was an interesting. I I remember actually every time we would get together and we would record i think like a couple episodes ahead of when we were actually gonna and we had to be careful about talking about the news because things were changing so often that we would date ourselves immediately if we said like oh yeah the you know dr fauci just said this or something and it's like oh that was like obviously recorded a month ago because now it's way different Mm -hmm. you know and um what a time (laughs) oh my god it was stressful and yeah, but um, it it definitely shook a lot of people out of their comfort zone. I mean, we saw after that whole period is when the whole like quiet quitting thing or the, you know, everybody leaving their jobs to go do something more fulfilling, um, the age of being able to do things remotely, like especially for people who had jobs in offices, the sense of yeah, there's there's no more pretending that you can't just do this from your house. We all knew you could do this from your house before, we but we wanted to, to force to you. Like nine months. Like, right. We don't have to go to this lame office right. in the middle of an expensive place. I can work from my couch. Yeah, exactly. We get the exact same work done. Yeah. Um, also, the uh, the years of uh, 2 and 3% interest rates. Oh, um, Lord. Rip. <laughs> buying Those a were home the days. was never more affordable i know i know yeah i feel like you and i both uh got into property at the right time the right time because i mean i don't want to say it will never be that cheap again right but it, it'll it be a long time before yep. interest rates for a home 
are back to two and three percent. Right. Because I got my home here at three point five mm. and I actually bought the interest rate down to three point one. Mm. And as a consequence of that, my home is very affordable right, right. now. But the only reason I was able to afford even but a you down can never pay- leave. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason I was I had enough for a down payment was because all of the stimulus money we got. Yeah. I didn't blow on stuff I didn't need. Yep. I pocketed all of it. Yep. And I don't, I mean, it, it sucked. Don't get me wrong. You were there with me understanding yeah. how bad it sucked because there was nothing to do. But as a result of there being nothing to do, I didn't go out and spend my money. Right. I wasn't going to bars, having 50 or $100 tabs a couple of nights a week. Yep. And I wasn't going out to restaurants and I wasn't going to movies and I wasn't going, I wasn't driving yeah. anywhere. So like the only stuff I spent money on was groceries. And streaming services mm-hmm. and like stuff to start the podcast. Yep. It it never it never occurred to me to be like, oh snap, I got five grand in my bank account. I yeah. can buy a Les Paul. Yeah. You know, I think uh it might be a Warren Buffett quote about um be greedy when other people are afraid and be afraid when other people are greedy. Mm-hmm. It it's um kind of a good reminder of there can be these moments in society where everyone is so afraid and rightfully so, but so afraid. And, you know, for you, especially like your whole livelihood that you had just built for yourself was running a live entertainment business. And, and now the entire world is shut possible. down. Right. Yeah. The whole goal is to get as many people in the room as possible. And now you're literally being told you're not allowed to do that. Yep. And I think the, you know, obviously the podcast was kind of a spur of the moment, like, okay, well, what else are we going to do with all our, this free time that we suddenly have? But also it was kind of a testament to not panicking to the great degree where you just stop having ideas and stop trying to problem solve. And so hopefully in the future, we won't have a situation as calamitous as the pandemic again, but there will be times where the economy go south and things are, you know, people maybe aren't going out to shows as much because they have less disposable income. But remembering that feeling of, okay, we got through it. We didn't panic. And we actually used, most importantly, we used the opportunity that was presented that didn't feel like an opportunity to figure out like something. Because I mean, frankly, if the, the lock, you know, if, if the whole shutdown stuff hadn't happened, this podcast wouldn't exist. It wouldn't exist. You know? All of all hundreds of you that listen to this podcast wouldn't be listening to it if it right. hadn't happened. Right. And so I think the next time, I hate saying the next time, but there will be bad times of some degree again. Mm-hmm. Like, remember this moment of this podcast and ask yourself, what opportunities are being presented by this difficult experience? Even right. if it's a personal experience, even if you're, you know, going through a divorce or something like that, and you're like, oh my God, my life sucks right now. How, what new opportunities can you create from this moment not to say that it's like worth the bad things happening but the bad things are going to happen no matter what you do right so how do you turn the lemon into lemonade you know that's i love that kind of a disposition and it is hard seeing through the the lemon so to speak yeah it's hard seeing past that stuff because everyone else around you if it is a societal issue is going to be telling you how much everything sucks and Mm -hmm. and you can't get ahead and it's very easy to give yourself a pass and not try because you're like, oh, well, everyone else is complaining. 
you know, so I, I don't have to try either because no, everyone, everyone else has given up. And like the whole reason the podcast started was because I was looking for a way to like maintain any level of brand awareness with tour stop and the small community at that time we had mm -hmm. just like, how do I get these people to not forget that I exist? Right. And it comes back to that. Just be consistent. Like, doesn't matter what it is. If there's something you can do to just metaphorically poke someone on the shoulder to remind them, oh yeah, I remember those tour stop shows back before we, the like the pandemic shut down. Like those are fun. Now I don't really know this guy Mike or this guy Aaron, but let's give a listen and see what's going on. Right. Like back then there was nothing else to do. Sit and listen to a podcast. Mm -hmm. I listened to so many podcasts back then. Yeah. Do you remember Waka Waka? No. My my, shall we call it? walk through Mordor of Nashville where I just walked <laughs> oh, everywhere yes, I do. all yes. the time. Yes. Oh my God. I Hundreds totally of miles through Nashville. That. Yes. Uh, all your Instagram. Yeah. I remember you walking through like Shelby park or something like time. that and you would see like deer or something. And yeah. it was like the most entertaining thing on the internet for or a like, minute. <laughs> or, or you see another person and then you like, you see, you know, that Spider-Man meme, mm -hmm. Spider-Man. Oh yeah. The t where like they're the all pointing at each guns. other. Like, yeah. That's how I felt. They're just like, you're like, you're another person. I see you. Yep. Don't come, don't, don't come, come closer. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> but it was, it was fun and it, and it gave me something to do. Yeah. Like I had n literally nothing to do. Right. And this kept that like engaged creative part of my brain on when it would have been really easy to just sit and watch uh, the Avengers movies on repeat yeah. or the office on repeat, which right. I did do both of those things, but this gave me something else to do for a couple of hours a week right. that was actually productive. But I think the more impressive thing is not that you started it, but that you didn't let it fall by the wayside once everything else came back mm -hmm. online. Like it, it would have been so easy to tell yourself like, oh, I did that during the pandemic to kill some time. But like now I'm just I, it would be too much work to do what I was doing before, but more because it's grown and still do this podcast. It would be very easy to just kind of like keep saying, oh, I'll do it next week. I'll do it next week. I think most people would do that, right. and it's probably why a lot of those other podcasts don't survive. So it's it's interesting, like I was saying before, like you have the the spark of the idea to let's just do something new, crazy off the cuff. Let's just start a podcast. Why not? But then also to not just have the shiny object of the whatever the next thing is and abandon the podcast idea. Right. There have been a couple of periods where we didn't do it, but it's always been there. And mm -hmm. It's, I mean, we've been doing it now consistently for, I think, a year and a half or so. Yeah. We've been back at it. And it's honestly, I've said it many times on the past probably 50 or so episodes, it's one of my favorite parts of Tour Stop now. Yeah. Because I love the live shows, and I love talking on the microphone, and I love the whole, all roads lead to Nashville Tour right. Stop. Yeehaw, motherfucker. Right. I love that <laughs> stuff. And seeing the audience shout and watching my friends have a good time is awesome, but I love having these personal one-on-one -on -one conversations yeah. so much, and I can't do that at a bar where the band is playing at 120 decibels. Mm -hmm. I just, you, no one can talk. Well, I think the, the, the thing about Tour Stop that makes it different is that it's not just a show, it's a community. Mm -hmm. And when pe people will uh, have, since the dawn of time, wanted to be a part of a tribe or a community. And so if you can... In whatever you do, whether it's a business or as a musician, if you can make people feel like they're part of a community and not just this like passive audience that's receiving whatever you're giving, that is going to 
set it apart, you know? And so, that, like, the, the audience for this show are probably also people that attend the actual live shows. And it's sort of, like, all a part of this cohesive brand thing. Like, some one of the coolest things that has happened to me, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying it's so small and in the grand scope of things, relatively insignificant. But to me, it was so, so significant because a person named Nick Rifkin, Nick, if you're listening, thank Shout you out. for this. Shout out Nick Rifkin. I think, uh, I think he lives in New Jersey, but he discovered the podcast in 2020 when we started it. Right. And he listened the whole time and he actually came to Nashville because Ow. he listened to the podcast and he played one of the shows. Like it made me feel like, okay, this is not just for my grandparents. This is not just for my five close friends who yep. I know like listening to me talk with my other friends, but like there's people out there listening to this. So if you're out there listening to this and you want to come to Nashville and play shows, I will hang out with you. Right. Like that is, that is it. Like there's, there's no like pay me a thousand dollars and you can have an hour of my time. It's like, no, you can come hang out with me anytime at any of the shows. And it's super, it's super fun. And that's just the, the atmosphere that I've, tried to create over the years is just it's just about our buds yep it's like just about the just about the community and i remember when we were thinking early on about this podcast and what it was going to be about and who it was going to be for that was a big question is like who is the audience for this who's the target audience and obviously we had people who actually already perform at tour stop and are in the audience at tour stop but another thing we were thinking about was what about all those people who live in their own hometowns wherever in the united states and are just putting Nashville into the podcast search thing because they just they're thinking about moving or they're musicians and they have always thought it would be amazing or whatever and there is that whole group of people that are probably in those early stages of thinking like a am I crazy for thinking I want to be a professional musician um is it even possible where would I move if I did move you know what's Nashville really like cuz we all who live here take for granted that, you know, it's, it's just, it's a city. It's where I live. I buy groceries here and stuff like that. But it's for a lot of people, it's a dream. It's like, this it is and yeah. to them. We're those people who did it. Right. Like you're living the dream. And I say that nowadays unironically, when people ask how I am, I say, oh, I'm living the dream. Yeah. And I mean it with no, no malice, no contempt, like mm -hmm. no sarcasm. I'm actually living a dream. Yeah. My job is to invite my friends to hang out with my other friends and have a drink and watch music. Like, and it's so easy to be so focused on what you see in the future that you lose sight of the, mo the moment of gratitude of like, no, I'm doing it now. Mm -hmm. I'm, yes, I will be doing more interesting things down the road, but what I am doing now is worth stopping and being like, this is awesome. The, <laughs> like, these I make are the music good for days. a living. I, ex exactly. Yeah, these are the good old days. Like, it will improve and it'll get even more exciting, but it, especially as a musician, you have to stop because it can be so hard and the immediate issues that come up can be so daunting that it's very easy to not stop and say, most people would have dreamed about the idea of like what it would be like to be a professional musician or run a, a Nashville showcase mm -hmm. i mean th these things are dream jobs for a lot of people and it's very easy to 
get caught up in the day to day and not appreciate it. it. It's oh, that's a great point because I was talking to a couple of tourists at the Hard Rock Cafe where mm-hmm. we host our shows on Thursdays right yep. now, and they were asking about tour stop and like what I do, and in a very simple way, like I the bars hire me to bring the show and I book the musicians, and then the corporate advertisers buy me drinks to give to the guests and the bands mm-hmm. and for myself. And these guys are just like, wait, so your job is drinking and watching music that mm-hmm. you like. I'm like, uh-huh. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. And I have to remind myself on the days when six people cancel last minute because of X, Y, and Z, yep. that those days stink for me because that's what makes it work. But then I have to go to the shows and be like, oh, okay, this is pretty sweet. There, I have no oversight. Like my job is to just put butts in seats, and we do that. Mm-hmm. And I try to remind myself to not get caught up in the monotony of just bookie for another writer's round. And thanks for coming to play. Like every time one of my friends shows up at my shows, I'm I've done it with you. I walk up and I give you a hug because mm-hmm. I'm excited to see my friends every time. That never gets old. Yep, it never gets old. Yeah, there's, a, um, there's actually a psychology term called uh, hedonic adaptation. I have never heard of that. Yeah, and what it means is, um, let's say that uh, you have, you're living your middle-class life, but you've always dreamed of, like, oh, I'm going to own a Lamborghini someday, and I'm going to like have a huge house someday or whatever. And all of a sudden, you win the lottery, and you get those things. And for a while, in the beginning, you're like, this is so cool. Every time you get in your car and you're driving around, like I'm driving a Lamborghini, I made it. But then six months, a year in, it's just your car. Like it's cool, but you're not thinking about how cool it is all the time because your, your baseline has adapted to that. Mm -hmm. And now if those things were taken away and you had to go back to driving your civic, you'd, you'd feel like, Oh, this is a, such a devastating loss as opposed to, it was just the baseline like a couple of years ago. And one of the things that people um, have a really hard time with is um, not when, when things start going well for them, not automatically increasing the cost of their lifestyle to equate with the, the new income, mm-hmm. but actually being able to say, well, it doesn't make sense for me to start spending more because I'm earning more because all of these luxuries I'm buying, I'm just going to get used to anyway. Mm-hmm. So I should just keep my baseline where it is and then actually put the actually grow wealth instead of just continuing to break even. You right. know? I've, I've always, I don't want to say had the, had the fantasy, but you know, like the estranged uncle that you didn't know existed <laughs> and you get an inheritance. I'm like, right. okay, well, what would have happened if I, if I all of a sudden inherited a million dollars? It's yeah. like, I, there's things that I would want to do. Like, okay, I would buy four new tires for my car. I've had Dream so big, many flats in this town. <laughs> I would just get a brand new set. Shoot for the moon. <laughs> Shoot for the moon, baby. I would do that. I would, I mean, I love my little house here. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't immediately want to go buy it like $65 million penthouse in the 505 downtown. Yeah. Like, who cares? Right. That doesn't mean anything to me. And you're right. I would eventually get used to the view from the top floor of that place, same as I'm used to the view of my parking lot mm-hmm. in the back. Yep. It's fine. And I'm pretty comfortable here. Me and Phyllis the dog are happy. Uh, I, at least I am. I presume she is as well. She's just living her best life, eating peanut butter on my couch. But, <laughs> but it's, it's a testament to 
oh God, I can't, it, it might be a Dave Ramsey thing, but just like live like no other today mm-hmm. so that tomorrow you can live like no other. Is exactly. that Dave Ramsey? Yep. yep. Yeah. I got that. For, I learned that from my dad. Yeah. But I didn't realize as a kid, we were pretty poor. Like my mom passed away when I was 10 and my dad was a church pastor. So he was raising three sons on a single parent's church pastor salary, yeah. which turns out is not a lot. Mm-hmm. And I never felt like I was poor as a kid, though, because my dad worked hard to make sure that, like, the quality of life remained the same. And right. then as, like, as time went on and he got remarried and we started having more, like, shall we say, exposable, not exposable. Disposable income, yeah. Expendable income, yeah. Um, like, it made me feel more like, okay, this, this new kind of stuff that's exciting and, and cool, we can go to Chipotle today right it it felt special mm-hmm. but i never felt like oh we went to chipotle we should do that again tomorrow right and the next day and the next day and not treating myself to those things kind of helped me i don't want to say craft this lifestyle that i live now i don't live fancy the nicest thing i have is my uh les paul and my kramer beretta on the wall there like those are the nicest things I've ever purchased for myself. And I look at them every day and I feel happy and excited that I have them. But I don't need 10 more. Also, like, where would I put right. 10 more in this little place? Well, we live in this very consumeristic society where the, the sort of people at the top, so to speak, benefit from us constantly feeling like we don't have enough. And we have to run out and buy whatever we just saw somebody smiling on TV about, you know. But... Ultimately, if you, I think it's so important, especially as a musician, where the income um, sometimes can be low. I don't want to buy into that idea too much, but it definitely is harder than other professions to make a big income. But it's also very unpredictable. Like you could have a great year followed by a not great year. It's just any kind of small businesses like that. So if you can set your your level low, not to where you're you know, unhappy or something, but just to live a very simple life. You know, I, I've actually just started reading uh, Walden by Henry David Thoreau, the classic. classic, you know, and he's, he talks about how um, he thinks of people who have inherited um, farms, so inherited mm-hmm. great wealth as being burdened by it. It's like, I feel bad for them that now they have this huge farm that they have to take care of and they have to do all this work in order, you know, and, and, and people who have possessions as being burdened by their possessions because they're, they have to figure out a place to put them and this, you know, like pay for them and all this stuff. And it's like, if you just live simply, maybe not cabin in the woods simply, but just practice a, a life that is simple and has the things that matter, which are people and experiences and stuff like that, but don't buy a bunch of crap. And that's the, the first way to um, be able to do something that is, financially hard like being a musician just mm-hmm. don't don't need to have that high level and then eventually when the money comes in like you can elevate it a little bit but don't elevate it in the same ratio that it elevated because then you're not going to go anywhere like you're- right like i i think about the, like the the trajectory of the apartments that i have lived in mm-hmm. over the years and my first apartment in college was $287.50 a month and it was disgusting, mm-hmm. but the next one was like $400 a month, and it was a little bit nicer. And then the one that I moved to in Nashville, in Antioch, the murder apartment, like that one was, granted, murder apartment, 
a little <laughs> bit nicer. And then I moved to the East Nashville apartment, which was, again, just a little bit nicer, a little bit more expensive. But I never made these huge jumps to the next like great thing. So that way, by the time I was able to get to this place, I, it, it was financially an option. Right. I never, I never spent more on an apartment that I knew I would be able to afford. And I know t- like tons of our friends have these really fancy apartments, these right. cookie cutter luxury apartments that cost $2,500 a month. I'm like, if you lived with three roommates like I did for eight years, you too may someday be able to have like a little bit of money for a down payment. Right. Like, God, I had some gross places. Like, <laughs> I had terrible roommates for a long time, but it was because when I was 18, I was like, I don't need to have a house right now. I would like to have a house as an adult, and if I can save 25 bucks a month, a little bit, just, just a little bit, for a year, and then maybe in a year, I can get that raise at my job, and then save $30 a month. Just like a little bit like that at a time started adding up, and then by the time COVID swung around, and I was like, well, shit, I don't like living in this little apartment anymore with a roommate. I think it's time to finally make the, the jump to like having my first place by myself. Mm-hmm. And this isn't huge. I, it's very small, actually. But it's it's very nice. Like it's it's a small place, but it's the just the fixtures and the paint and everything is is nice. It doesn't you know? look junky. No. And this is the first not junky place. This is the first place I've had that has actual granite countertops, right? And not faux granite countertops. <laughs> yep. But you know the the thing you were just saying about the consistently putting away a little bit, and then as you got a raise, like putting away a little bit more, it it goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning of this conversation, which is like consistency is the key in basically everything. Mm-hmm. Like you are better off trying to put away the twenty five bucks a month or the twenty five bucks a week or whatever it is that you can do that will get you way farther than than putting away two thousand dollars and then never contributing never again, again you know and so i think in most things in life that's not the sexy approach that's not the cool thing it, it's not something you're going to be posting about on instagram of like i, I put away so 25, much rather be you know? spending thousands of dollars on cool vacations than contributing to my roth ira <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> because someday that Roth IRA will be worth a lot of money. And think of how many cool vacations you can go on then. <laughs> that's exactly. And that's something I got from my dad, and I'm sure my dad got from Dave Ramsey, is just delayed gratification. Right. I don't need to go on fancy vacations right now. I love my job. I love my friends. I don't need, like, if I went to Cancun by myself, it'd be boring. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe in 40 years when I have the retirement, I can afford to take my friends with me. Right. Like. That would be fun, and I'm fine waiting for that. Yeah. Patience. Exactly. Patience. Well, let's take a quick commercial break, and we'll come right back here on the Centennial Podcast with Mike Dunbar on the Nashville Tour Stop Podcast. We're back on the Nashville Tour Stops 100th podcast episode celebration with our original co-host, Mr. Mike Dunbar. Welcome. Welcome back, buddy. So good to be here. So good to be here on the mic here with uh, the wonderful dachshund Phyllis, who's been asleep in her bed uh, (laughs) as we've been recording this whole thing. 
Yeah, uh, she's kind of like the manager co-host. here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Mike, I know we've talked a lot about consistency on today's episode, and there's a, a million other things I know we could sit and talk about, but I'd love to hear more about what you've been up to since you left the podcast about a, a year and a half ago. What's What's going on in the the world of the artist and entrepreneur of Mike Dunbar? Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think exactly where things were at at that point, but I know we on the podcast were talking a lot about uh, just naturally because it was things I was thinking about, but um, gigs and running the sort of business side of being a professional musician, and I think I was able to kind of take it full time uh during that phyllis is just looking at me intently she, oh, like, yeah. she, she's she'll like this is so interesting yeah <laughs> um but you know trying to make it a full-time job uh to be a musician and that's something that i was able to do which is so so cool um and since then i've continued doing that um and also doing my more artist-oriented stuff uh so i released um, in 2021, I don't, I think it was in the fall of 2021, I released an EP called Something Great. Uh, and then, um, I've also released, um, this year, a single called Starting Gun. Uh, and I'm going to have, uh, a couple other songs coming out this year. So, um, just n- now that, now that the, I'm, I'm kind of at an interesting point, I think, because I've had that moment of, okay, I am a card-carrying professional musician. You got it. You know, and it's a really cool thing to say. Um, and it's also a lot of work, but, you know, I, I think it can be a better living than people assume. But at the same time, it's also like, well, I, I want to be putting more and more emphasis on my own music and, you know, I've, I've gotten to try a lot of cool things, too, like uh, sync writing and stuff like that for, like, you know, film type stuff. And, um, but also getting away from, like, I just want to do music as a job and getting more towards, like, I want to make my art and have that be more of a focus, um, you know. And so I'm, I'm sort of in that process right now i think the, the bridging the gap between doing the gigs for hire and the uh gigs f- i don't want to say gigs for art but you know what i mean yeah like the 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 gigs that are important to you personally right yeah it's um you know one way that people think that sometimes at least early in your career is like you can make the music that you want to make the most that is the most meaningful to you that is exactly how you want it to be but you will probably need to have a day job. Mm-hmm. Or you can be more flexible on what kind of music you're going to be making, but you can actually do it professionally. Um, ultimately, I don't think that's a dichotomy that you have to be stuck in forever, but um, the certainly one starting or the out. other option. Right, exactly. But, um, you know, now for me, it's like, well, I have a lot of other skills that I can sort of bring to the table so to speak that are also income producing so it's sort of like well if i change the makeup of how many gigs i'm doing versus how much you know another thing that i I, i'm an english major in college so i um have a lot of writing experience not just songwriting but like prose writing so i yeah you um, you do 
the copy and ad, or you, at least you did in another life. You did copy and ad writing, correct? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it was um, technically, I guess, is the content writing what it would be okay. considered. So it was like not necessarily just writing advertisements, although I did some stuff like that, but also writing more like blog post type okay. thing. That um, you know, so I've I've been doing that. I actually uh, just started the uh, real estate licensing nice. uh, process too, which is really cool. I think it's uh, it's funny because it's kind of the um, the classic like things that musicians do on the side or something like that. But it's actually been something that um, probably since 2017 I got interested in real estate and real estate investing in particular, and I just started voraciously reading about it, and it, never with the intent of like, oh, I'm going to turn this into a job, just with the thinking of like, well, how can you, the thing that I really liked about the idea of real estate investing was as a musician, what can you do to not have to choose between being a musician and having wealth, you know, like so many people think you're doomed to this existence of poverty if you want to be a professional musician. And I'm, I've always been very much like, no one is going to force me to get a real job. No, nope. I refuse to get a real job. And so for me, it turned into reading about investing because I started to realize like, yeah, if you um, are able to get a property and have people move into it and start paying you rent, that's income. That's immediate this, passive income. Right. And this whole idea of passive income being something that you can then start to use to step away from your quote unquote real job and also not even have to take some of the gigs that you don't necessarily want to take. And now you can start, you can sort of become your own record label if you get enough of that, in, you know? And so, um, that's one of the things I wish that I had made a different decision on because when I bought this place, I had lived with a roommate for a while and it was COVID. And it was, I think one of the reasons why I chose a one bedroom was because in my brain, I was just so tired of constantly being with someone. And if I could go back with a little bit of hindsight, I might have chosen differently, maybe buy a house with extra bedrooms where I could have mm -hmm. rented them out because I, I would love to be in that position now having someone paying me rent right? where I'm able to control the rent as well. And like if I wanted to have musicians living there in a place where it's like, yes, you can practice here, you can do this. And it's like if your band is rehearsing, I won't be able to hear it. Right. Like, that's fine. Yeah. But. I'm I'm not unhappy with this place, but I probably would have made a different decision. But more to your point of like, if you do that, there's there. I mean, there's plenty of options on trying to get like passive income generated. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think the classic thing is your your house is an investment and it is hopefully it's something that will go up in value over time. But like knock on wood, it's, you know. <laughs> When it really becomes an investment is when you actually are able to make it income producing, like having, you know, uh, not just contributing to the equity you put into it. Yeah. And having having other people start contributing to your equity is the important thing. And, you know, we talk about this, like, I think it's um, easy for musicians to kind of tap out because they've bought into this narrative about themselves that as an artist you can't be a business. Mm -hmm. And yet, if you look at Paul McCartney, Mick Jagger, like 
any Kiss. of these yeah kiss especially oh my god the lunchbox mm-hmm. um but the musicians that you look up to actually are probably very thoughtful business people mm-hmm. you know bob dylan is has his line of whiskey and Snoop Dogg. It, you know yeah exactly it's like th- this this story that we tell ourselves that you have to be the starving artist is is a myth it's not true and if anything like it's funny to me how musicians tend to be kind of countercultural in a way, like they're not going off and getting the job that they're expected to go get or something like that. But they're also very susceptible to buying into what other musicians are telling them their life mm-hmm. is supposed to be. And that you're not a real musician if you're thinking of, in terms of investing in stuff like that. And why would you turn off part of your brain just because you're telling yourself that other musicians don't do that? Well, right. That's their problem. But if you want to be in this for the long haul, you, that, that's, the thing, that's the thing that got me interested in the real estate stuff is like, if you want to be in this for the long haul, like I, I always, even from when I was much younger and I was a musician, I always kind of dreaded someday being married and having a conversation of, you know, like having kids and stuff like that and having the conversation of, okay, honey, like I appreciate that you're doing this music thing, but we really need you as a family to get a real job now. Mm-hmm. I never wanted to be in that position of feeling like, wow, I... I'm not like, contributing. Yeah, yeah. And that the, the only right answer for me and my family is to give up on this. Right. I never wanted to be forced because of financial reasons to give up. And so the answer to that is to, yeah, just start thinking creatively about like, okay, if I have to have a place to live anyway, um, maybe I can, you know, buy a place that has another bedroom that I can make into um, a rental area that, you know, that person is now helping me pay my mortgage. And now I'm, that's an invest, you know, whatever. Um, but if you can just start to, because I, I didn't always used to know about that stuff. I think people, it's funny, like uh, people now associate me with, doing a lot of business stuff, but I knew nothing about it. And, and actually, I wasn't very good with money. And I just remember back probably around 2017 being super broke and having this moment of everything else in my life that I've ever wanted to get good at. I just went out and bought some books and went on YouTube and started learning how to do that thing. And it, like we're all told culturally that you're not supposed to say, I want to make money i want to be wealthy that feels like an icky thing to mm-hmm. say it sounds but dirty yeah it, it, it and we that's the thing is like if you have that mindset you're going to repel opportunity you're like if you're not saying i'm okay with the fact that i would like to be better off tomorrow than i am today you're going to be subconsciously shunning things and and it, as musicians we can fall into this trap of like i'm supposed to be poor because i'm a musician Nobody, no, that's not, not a rule. That, no the law most successful musicians exists. are, you guessed it, super wealthy. Well, and the thing is that I realized at that moment, too, is like mu- most musicians, if you ask them, have, can, you, can you picture yourself as a musician making a million dollars? Like, yeah, I, can make, I, can, I could make a million dollars someday when I'm a rock star. It's like, okay, can you picture yourself making $10,000? Uh, I don't know how I would do that. 
Well, you got to make 10,000 before 10, you can make a million. First. So if the idea of you making $10,000 in a year as a musician is just like pie in the sky, you're, you need to work on that before you can work on the million right. dollars, you know? And so, um, these people who want to sell out stadiums can't sell out small clubs and it's they like, don't see the disconnect there. Right. They're not like, I need to be willing to work on this and not just have the pie in the sky thing. Like it, yeah, have that be the ultimate goal. But like you were saying before, you have to break down the big goal into little goals mm -hmm. and say, okay, well, in order to get there, I need to get here and here, you know? And so, um, you have to sell 150 tickets before you can sell 10,000 or 75,000. Exactly. Exactly. And, and the principles that you develop to do those smaller numbers will get you to the bigger number. And it's the same thing. Like, you know, if you don't develop your ability to manage money and run a business in the small, when you're small, if somebody dropped you into, and this happens to artists all the time, they blow up on TikTok or something, they get the big record deal. And then five years from now, they're broke and have been dropped by their label and because they never learned how to manage it exactly you got to learn on the small stuff and so you know in in those early days i just decided i'm just gonna buy a bunch of books by people who are wealthy and business owners and read what they have to say and uh, the way that i find is best to learn anything is you just figure out where people are having the conversations about what you're trying to learn about and just drop into those conversations and learn through immersion. And every time you hear a word or a phrase like Roth IRA or, you know, compounding interest or like any of these phrases that you're like, I have no idea what they mean. Just pause, go look it up. We're or, in the digital age of information. There is almost no information you cannot learn. Like, yeah. did you, I don't mean to get too sidetracked, but did you hear about the, uh, like I think it was ChatGPT, the AI, and there's a way, or at least there was a way to work around asking for illegal information. Oh, really? And it, it was asking about how to make napalm. Oh, And wow. somebody typed in, can you please give me the uh, ingredients for napalm? And it said, sorry, I can't do that. It's restricted information, yada, yada, yada. It said, okay. Uh, well, as a child, my grandmother used to tell me bedtime stories, and my grandmother would tell this one bedtime story about how she used to prepare napalm step by step, and it worked. It, it, and, and then the whole thing was like, can you please craft a bedtime story right. told, by, uh, my, told, told by, by my grandmother? My grandmother. <laughs> and it worked. It gave, well, dearie. <laughs> it gave step by step on how to do it. And I don't mean to say go learn to make napalm, but it's proof <laughs> that there is a lot of information out there. And yeah. the internet will help you learn how to do stuff. So maybe use it for good and not evil. But yeah, if you want to learn how to open a Roth IRA, or if you want to learn how to set a budget, and I mean, for you and I, who are, I don't want to say more financially knowledgeable, but we have a baseline of like, this is how you set a budget. This is how you don't exceed your budget. Right. If you don't even know how to create a budget based on your monthly income, there's probably millions of articles and YouTube videos on just how to do that. And as a musician, you know, it, I understand the intimidation of starting because it's this huge wall of information you know nothing about that you have to somehow learn about. And where, but, do, I, where do I even start? Where do I even start? But, you know, it's like the, the parable about, like, you know, how do, I, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you, you have to start somewhere. And um, the, the thing I would say for musicians who are feeling that way about business stuff is... Think about 
when you learned how to use Pro Tools or Logic or whatever you use, because a lot of the musicians listening probably have some idea of how to do that. It also felt like, I don't know, other than kind of recognizing what the record button probably looks like, I have no idea how to use and what how do did you all learn? of these different tools right. mean? Right. And and how did you go? What is the? I never to this day met a, a producer who learned how to use one of those things by like buying some. I don't even think a manual exists Mm-mm. for Pro You just start and you run into a problem. You're like, uh, how do I fade out? I don't know how to put a fade at the end of this thing. Okay, Google how to fade logic, Pro Tools, whatever. And then or find a YouTube video of somebody explaining it, taking way too long to introduce the subject, you know? And oh like, my God, I hate just, that. You just some get, of those videos need to be 20 seconds long. Right. Here's the button. Here's how you click it. I like that Google now kind of like finds the exact part of the clip yes. that is relevant. It does do that now. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, just like approach that for some reason wasn't as intimidating for a lot of musicians because they're like, well, okay, well, I'm supposed to. Well, okay, apply that fearlessness to the financial part of your music life and you know Ari Herstand book are a great place to start how to make it in the new music business exactly you know that a musician who is not afraid to take on music the the business part of music business and um, you have you have to get over I I don't know how it's the same for somebody who doesn't want to learn how to use Pro Tools or something else because the problem is, if you don't get over it, your fear of learning about that stuff, someday you'll be in a position where you have to rely on other people to manage your money for you, and they will never make as good for you as you would make. Absolutely. That's one of the reasons why I have kept so much of the information about how the business of Nashville Tour Stop operates. Because in the eyes of the beholder, these people who play the rounds and their brains, Nashville Tour Stop, just a round. It's just another round that I can ask to play at. That's just in their brain what's happening. But like, there's so much happening at these shows that they might not realize, like the corporate advertising, the the podcast, the branding, the digital marketing. The there's there's so many aspects of the company that are happening simultaneously, and that's a testament to just a little bit at a time, a little how to eat an elephant. Yeah, it's like the first thing I did was just like, all right, let's find a venue. Okay, now I've got a Pick a day we start, and then, okay, well, now I've got to ask six people to play. Yep. Okay, well, now I've got the six people. Now I have to make a poster. And then if you look at it, and you're like, oh, crap, I have to ask 24 people to play. I don't even have a poster. I don't know how to do any graphic design. It's like, yeah, take it one step at a time, and it's going to be okay. Yeah, and I think it's important to note, too, like, neither of us went to business school. We were not, like, Mm -mm. super educated. I actually had my application to business school denied. (laughs) And yet, here we are talking fluently about this where you know 10 years ago probably listening to this conversation be like yep and and it's just every day is like learning a language you just put yourself in the middle of it and every day it starts to make a little more sense and you know i don't i can't say i know how to do every aspect Mm -hmm. of running a business but like every day is learning and improving and you just have to be willing just have to be willing to start wow that kind of that put a stamp on it. <laughs> wow. Well, Mike, thank you for coming and rejoining us for the Centennial podcast episode. Uh, I know you've got more stuff coming out, though. Would you please talk a little bit more about the upcoming releases and where people might be able to find that? Yeah. So um, I haven't really I haven't announced anything yet, but 
uh, in the next month or two. I'm hoping there's going to be a certain song coming out around the corner. So, um, and and hopefully even uh, something more before the year is out after that. So, best way to follow along is uh, Mike Dunbar Music on Instagram or whatever socials you use, and also uh, I'm on Spotify and all the streaming platforms. So, yeah, give give. Find him online. That's right. And uh, you have your uh, live performance schedule on your website? Yes. Yep. What is your website one more time? Yep, just MikeDunbar.com. MikeDunbar.com. Well, Mike, this has been a pleasure having you back. Um, I would like to ask you one more question before we sign off this okay. first part of the 100th podcast episode. We have uh, part two or three. I haven't decided which direction we're going to put these around in, but... A lot of people who have played Tour Stop or attended Tour Stop over the years have sent in their favorite memories of a time that they have attended. Does anything off the top of your mind, just a fun time that you can recall with the, uh, with the Tour Stop? I remember um, back in those early days at uh, Belcourt, um, I remember you had me play with a band. Mm-hmm. And you came up to me and said, you just broke the record of the most <laughs> people like at, at this particular show or something like that. And I think we managed to break at least twice. There were uh, shows where like that. I because I remember telling you that the first time and the second time it was when me and you played in Steve Graberger's band. Yep. And that yep. was in February of 2020, I think not long before the shutdown, but that's, that's a special one. Cause you were one of those first times where it was like, dang like there's people here for yeah this. like this yeah. is this is more than just aaron talking on the microphone mm -hmm. and that's that's cool man yep yeah those are those are great times and and you know it's it's cool that as as this grows um being able to look back on those very early days remember you know where it all started it all it all started much much smaller and humbler and you know it's uh it's great well, Mike, thank you for coming back and doing this. It's been a pleasure as always. Y'all, thank you for listening to part one of the Centennial Podcast episode. Follow Mike Dunbar on his social medias and his website, MikeDunbar.com. We'll have all of that linked in the episode description here. Mike, it's a pleasure as always. And everybody listening, we will see you in part two right here on the Nashville Tour Stop Podcast. Yeah.